I'm Brad Wilson. This program is produced weekly by the Christ Life Fellowship. Check us out, christ-life.org. We have been the last few weeks dropping in on this great conference Warren Litzman held in South Africa years ago. We've been playing excerpts from it, from our archives, and it has been so powerful, and the response has been wonderful. We're so happy that you're enjoying it and getting such a blessing out of it. Let's go back now. Here's Warren. Take your Bible, if you will, and turn to Philippians 3. It'd be good that we wear that page out in your Bible. What we have talked about so far in the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, by the Apostle Paul, is that he has reiterated to us what his kenosis is. Those of you that don't know, the kenosis means self-emptying. It is a term that's only known in historical theology. It's not a practice term today at all. Our world took a great change about 30 years ago from what it is God does in man to what it is God does for man. And when that radical change came, there was very little more preaching on what we call kenosis. There was very little demand made on anybody to empty themselves. And I think one reason that came about was that most people couldn't find a reason to empty themselves. Preachers didn't do it. The doctrine didn't demand it. So why are you going to empty yourself of something? But when our message came alive that Christ lives in human beings, kenosis returned as a very important truth. It was very important because the duality of man being something and Christ being somebody caused us to rethink. Rethink about who we were as Christians. Rethink about what a Christian was. And rethink most of all about Jesus. Without a kenosis, we come into a religious world that has no sanctity concerning the person of Christ. He's put in songs in an unusual way. He's demonstrated in an unusual way. And everybody says that's Christ. As I said in the very first meeting here, our world, church world, religious world today has lost, literally lost, a respect for Jesus Christ. He can just be used anyway, put in any kind of plan, do anything. You mustn't lose respect for Christ because it's going to affect your psychic. Sooner or later, you're going to call on him whom you did not respect. And that'll affect you. So what Paul has done for us is laid out his kenosis. When he says, I have suffered the loss of all things for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, he means what he says. He has enumerated it. He has written it down. 
I don't encourage you to do that. If you're real anxious about what your commitment is to God, you might just take a pencil and piece of paper someday and write down about who you think you are and then draw a line through it and see if it works. See if it works. Who are you? Who do you think you are? What are all those things that people love you think about you? That's something you'd write down. And what are all those things that people don't like you say about you? Write that down. Then draw a line through it all. I suffer the loss of all these things for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Well, let's go back to the scriptures. We still have much to cover. Paul's whole intent in verse 11 is, By any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Now there is a predominant thing that's been going through these verses. <clears throat> but we're just now ready to get to the heart of this predominant thing. The predominant thing is that in the third chapter of Philippians, there are 16 eyes. Sixteen eyes. It's Paul in the first person. I do this. I do it. We won't have time to go through the 16 of them. But back in verse 4 he says, I might also have confidence in the flesh. Who is it that has confidence in the flesh? I, you. And I can trust in the flesh more than any of you. I do that. Verse 7, I counted loss for Christ. Who did it, Paul? I did it. Who did it? The Lord do it? Nope. My doctrine, did it do it? Nope. Did all the preaching I heard for 50 years do it? Nope. It finally comes down to an eye. Comes down to you. He doesn't beat around the bush here. He says in 16 different places, this is what I do. Well, I would tell you, if you were trying to get more of God, that there's nothing you can do. And I'd be right. But that would be in spirit. Your spirit salvation is nothing you can do. It's done for you. It's done by Christ. It's given by God. Nothing you can do about spirit salvation. But in your soulish salvation, where you are involved in the love affair, you've got to do something. But I said that wrong. If you love him, you will do these things. And when we read Paul's 16 eyes, I see love written across every one of them because he didn't do anything because he had to. He didn't have to do that to have Christ in him. You listen to me now? You don't have to do anything to have Christ in you. All you have to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And the only salvation God has is Christ life in you so you don't have to do anything heaven's going to be full of people never did anything but they have no love affair going 
They've missed the greatest thrill you can have on this sinful earth. And that's the great thrill of having a love affair with somebody outside of this world that makes everything different in your life. A real love affair. You don't have that love affair, I promise you any other love affair you have with a human or a dog. Doesn't matter. What really matters is that love affair you have with the Christ that's in you. So we're getting to that point now. What can you do? What can you possibly do? You sat here and heard me grind out the essence of another person living in you, which is God's plan. What can you do about it? What are you going to do about it? You know what's obvious? God hadn't done anything about this in your life until now. Does he love you? Sure he does. You say, well, how come I didn't know anything about this from God? Because you didn't want to know. That's the first thing. And I'm real hard at that point. You can know anything about God if you want to know. I think about the Pentecostal church. First Christians that started on the day of Pentecost. The church started then. Every last one of them could have known Christ was in them. On the day of Pentecost, they could have known Christ was in them. But instead, they preached the typical Pentecostal message from Joel 2.28. I preached it hundreds of times. It's going to be a great revival. We're going to see things we've never seen before. But you know what? They could have known Christ was in them. Because in Christ's last message to his apostles... In John 14 and 20, he said, On that day, the day the Holy Spirit comes, you shall know, K-N-O-W, mind, you will know that I'm in you and you're in me. So I don't feel sorry for the early Pentecostal church. They could have known it. Jesus said they could have. Why? Because that's the reason the Holy Spirit has come, to reveal Christ. Paul would say these deeper things are revealed unto you by the Holy Spirit. They don't come to you unless you're open to the Holy Spirit. You know why the Holy Spirit's called a dove? Dove. I live on a property in Dallas, and on any morning you can see a flock of doves out on my lawn. i got guys there that like to go dove hunting. They spend hundreds of dollars to go dove hunting. And I got a bunch of them on my lawn. But you know what? These doves have no force. They don't force anything. You can almost walk right up to one and touch it. That's why the Holy Spirit is called a dove. He doesn't fight you. He doesn't argue with you. You can be full of the Holy Ghost in an outer sense and never have a conflict from Him. He's a dove. 
When the Holy Spirit came, He came to reveal Christ. Instead, the Holy Spirit brought the gift of the Spirit. 3,000 were saved, and from that point on, the church grew, abounded, abounded. Great, great things happened. And you know what? That early church never did take hold of the message, Christ in you, the hope of glory. To the very end of the scripture, they didn't take hold of it. Watch well, the same way today. Multitudes of good people serving God, worshiping God all the time, still have no idea of Christ living in them. So the only way that's ever going to work is if you want it to work, if you are interested. If you say to the Holy Spirit when you're reading the Scriptures, Holy Spirit, I don't have this thing. I don't even understand it. Would you talk to me? He may then or he may later, but he will always talk to you. He will always bring back to you these things. Maybe someday you're driving down the road and all of a sudden it pops in you. The Holy Spirit gives you the answer. You've got to stay open to him. Because commitment is something you do. Nobody forces you to do it. Not the Holy Spirit, not God your Father, and certainly not Christ. Why? You don't force people to love. I've dealt with that in humanity so many times. With dealing with, dealing with erring children, and the dad would look up, at me after I'd talk to him about how to deal with these children, and he'd say, well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to make them do that. I'm going to make them do that. I knew when he said it, he couldn't. You can't make people love. You can make people put on a show of love, and most of us are good love actors. We could all be in a love picture somewhere, romance. We know how to do that. But that's not reality. What we're going to get from Paul now is what must be done to make this commitment, to have this change of mind to be more than just a bunch of thoughts. He's literally going to do something about it. Literal commitment is going to take place. Beginning at verse 12, he said, Not as though I had already attained either were already perfect. Let's stop right there because that brings up an interesting subject. If you don't know the difference between soul and spirit, you can be confused by that statement. Because Paul says here, I haven't attained perfection. What does he mean by that? He means in his soulish part, where he is connected with what goes on, he hasn't reached that stage of perfection. Well, to be honest with Brother Paul, he never will. You'll never reach the stage of perfection in your soulish part. Always remember that. You'll never be perfect in mind, will, and emotions. But you will always be advancing, growing, becoming more perfect, but never reach perfection. On the other hand, in your spirit salvation, you stand perfect. You're perfect. Why? It isn't you that lives any longer. It's Christ. Your salvation is a perfect thing. 
It's perfect. At least five times Paul says it. I don't have the list before me right now, but he says it five times that the believer is perfect, like Colossians 1, 27, 28, 29. He says our whole purpose is to present every man how? Perfect. How you do that? Through the preaching of the gospel. Through the teaching of the word. You present men perfect. You tell them they're perfect in spirit. Paul knew the difference. He said separate soul and spirit. For the word of God is sharp and powerful more so than any two-edged sword dividing soul and spirit. Why does it say divide the two? Because you're going to get all mixed up if you don't. You are perfect in spirit. You're imperfect in soul. Isn't that simple? That's better than putting it all together in one big ball and say, well, here's believer. He's pretty good on Sunday. He's lousy on Saturday night. <laughs> Paul said, separate that. He's got Christ in him. He stands perfect. But he is imperfect in his soulish part. Paul taught that. Well, a lot of people in his day took hold of it and said, oh, that means we can do anything we want to. Then we're still perfect in spirit. No, Paul says, the grace of God is allotted to you, but if you don't love God, you're the loser. You're not better off. You see, I'm a old-fashioned believer that when you understand the grace of God you quit your erring ways you quit them why that's a love affair I'm so in love with this Jesus that I wouldn't want to do anything that was wrong that doesn't mean I'm perfect in my flesh or in my spirit not my, my soulish part I'm not perfect there but I am growing that's where I grow that's where I love God sometimes I make a mistake, I fail, but out of that comes a stronger growth because the only growth I have in my soul is from learning this Christ that's in me. Learning Him. Learning Him. So he says here, not as though I had already attained or were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. A lot of words there. Several eyes in that one verse. Next time you read this, go through it and circle every one of those eyes and you'll know what to do. You'll know how to handle it all. That's what you do. The first thing you do is to admit that I... Am not, I have not attained. I have not attained. I am not what I ought to be. <clears throat> now that's where you start with a change in your mind. You start by saying, I'm not what I ought to be. I haven't apprehended. I haven't understood. If you want to enter into this excellent knowledge of Christ Jesus, you're going to have to start at the point of saying, I don't know it. I don't understand it. You're going to have to forget 30 years of sitting in a church building. You're going to have to forget all the Sunday school classes. You're going to have to forget all the junk that you've taken up, you've taken up in religion. And you're going to have to say, I have not attained. Just be honest. You learned a lot in all that stuff. Your junk might have taught you something. But it's not worth a nickel when we're comparing it with what he's after. He's after a knowledge of the Christ that's in him. 
So it doesn't matter. You hadn't attained. That's where you start. You start by saying, I'm not perfect. Well, that's not hard for any of us there, is it? In our soulish part, it's easy to say we're not perfect. I haven't attained. I'm not perfect. But this is what I do. I follow after. How do you follow? I follow after. What is the after? When you say you follow after, what are you, what are you after? He's after the essence of this knowledge. Remember verse 8? He says, I have suffered the loss of all things for the excellency of knowledge. What do you follow after? This knowledge. This is another knowledge. This is another knowledge based on your birthing. This is based on something you've already got and don't know how to operate it. Like some of us older heads, every time a new electronic thing comes out, I have to get somebody else to operate it for me until I learn it. He's gotten hold of something new, something different, something powerful. And he says, I'm not perfect. I haven't apprehended. But I'm going to study. I'm going to search the Scriptures. I'm going to listen to what Jesus says. At that time, he had Scriptures already written that had the in Christ message in them. This Philippians is one of his later epistles. So he said, I'm going to follow after this theme that Christ has given me. He has told me that he lives in me. The Holy Spirit has revealed to me that Christ lives in me. Now I said, I'm going to follow after that thing. <coughs> I'm not going to give up on it. In other words, for the smartest man in the Bible, highest trained man in the Bible, he had enough, <coughs> he had enough sense to know that he was going to have to follow after this thing till he got a hold of it. In other words, for South Africans, he would have said, I can't sit in a three-day, four-day five-day meeting and get it. I just get there that it exists. But he said, I'm going to follow after. For this radical change in my mind, I'm going to continue. I'm going to hold on. I'm going to keep searching. I'm after one thing, and that's the fullness of Christ. There's only one thing I want to know, and that's Jesus. I don't want to know anything else but Him. <clears throat> and I want the knowledge that goes with that. I want the excellent knowledge. I'm not going to beat around the bush. I'm not going to get a little blessing and say, oh, I got a glimpse of that. He says, I'm going to hold on. I'm going to follow after till I get this thing. That last line says, then I'll be apprehended of Jesus Christ. Try to, <clears throat> try to understand this. He says, if I follow after carefully in my study, my research, in allowing the Holy Spirit to teach me this Christ that's in me. You see, Paul was outspoken on that point. Probably the most spiritual group he had was the church at Ephesus. And you know what? He told them one day, you haven't learned Christ. He said the same thing to the Corinthians once. You haven't learned Christ. In other words, he said Christ is in you. You haven't learned anything about him. 
That's where we are. We haven't learned Christ. That's where we are in this group right now. We haven't learned Christ. I got people all around the world that's been in meetings who heard, oh, I can see that now. Christ lives in me. But they never learned it. They haven't learned me. See, there's a big difference between you saying with your head knowledge, I know this thing, but you haven't learned it yet. How do you learn it? <clears throat> you learn it first by the events of life. How do you know Jesus lives in you? By the way you react to your circumstances and situations, the old CNS game. Yeah. Fellow said to me the other day, Well, I lost my temper. What you going to do about that? I said, you're going to have to learn him. You don't, you don't know him yet. You think he's there, but you haven't learned him in your mind. And the mind is the key. Remember, I told you in the first session how important the mind was. <clears throat> Paul doesn't have a phase of Scripture that he doesn't deal with words understanding, knowledge, wisdom, or revelation. He always comes back to the mind. You have the mind available, he says. You have the mind of Christ. Be not taken up with the things around you. Be renewed in your mind. <coughs> Paul always comes back to this thing of the mind. Why? Because the mind is where you make a choice to love. And love is not an emotion. Love is a choice. People come to me in marriage counseling and say, Well, I just don't love her anymore. I said, That's a bad choice. No, I, I don't really like her anymore. That's a bad choice. You choose to do that. That's the way it is with Jesus in us. You choose whether or not you love Him. That's a choice you make. You make enough bad choices and the Holy Spirit <coughs> begins to deal with you. And then you get in trouble and you say, God, please help me out. I don't know whether God's got a register there of any kind. He probably has an electronic one now. <clears throat> but he'll bring it up on the screen and say, well, I, I see a number of bad choices you made here. You want me to help you, and I really do love you. You're my kid, but sooner or later, you've got to stop these bad choices. Well, you're broken down. You say, oh, Lord, what do I need then? You need to learn Christ. You're living the wrong life. You're living the dead man's life. <coughs> That's something we need to talk about. You know the problem with most believers? They say, yes, I'm crucified with Christ. I no longer live. But the one thing they didn't do was to have a burial service. The scripture says we were crucified with Christ, we were buried 
with Christ. <laughs> what their trouble is, they've never buried that old man. They still carry him around. <laughs> yes, sir. And that's a heavy weight on you. <clears throat> because every time you get ready to do something, you got him on your back. Every time you feel real free in the spirit and you're ready to do something, you wake up the next morning beside the dead man. <laughs> See, that's rough on you. That's a hard life to live. You better bury him. That's what Paul does, finally. We won't get to it in this portion of Scripture, but finally he gets the dead man buried. He no longer exists. He no longer lives. He's gotten rid of him. We'll show you about that before we get through with his, his commitment here. Once he apprehends Christ, Christ apprehends him. What does that mean? Once he suffers the loss of his self-life, me, the I, all of a sudden the Christ life flows through what's left of him because that's his creation of image and likeness of God. Now it flows. Now it works. Now it happens. Verse 13. <clears throat> Brethren, I don't count myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do forgetting those things which were behind and reaching forth for those things which are before. Now we're to the heart of the change of the mind. I have often taught that the hardest thing a human has to do is change their mind. That's hard to do. Uh, always a man barks up and says, well, I got a wife that changes her mind all the time. <laughs> but that change of mind is not the same as what we're talking about that's a female thing that's okay but when I talk about changing the mind I talk about changing one's identity it's a big difference <clears throat> The big difference is in identity, who you think you are. So the change of mind finally reaches the very depth of the subject when the change of mind attacks one's identity. That's why you don't want to change your mind about these things that Paul has talked about here. You don't want to change your mind about yourself. You don't want to change your mind about your religion. What have those two things done? They've created an identity for you. You don't want to give that up. You say, well, that's the real me. No, that's not the real you at all. The real you is Christ in you. But you think that's the real you. You think it's you. And you think that long enough, your identity grows. Until finally you get in conflicts, you look at somebody and say, well, that's the way I am. You don't like it? 
Lump it. That's the way God made me, you say. No, he didn't. That's the way you formed your identity. Before you ever met God, you formed your identity. We're going to stop right here. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this wonderful excerpt from a conference Warren Litzman held in South Africa years ago. Been so powerful to listen to these things each week. Now, next week will be our 100th podcast of Loving the Christ Life. It's hard to believe. We've got a great show lined up for you, a wonderful special guest, and we can't wait to bring it to you next week. One of the things really quickly we'd like to talk about is helping us spread this news, this in Christ message around the world. And one very important way to do this is to start your own in-home fellowship. You can start by yourself or you can bring others. However you want to do it, it will help grow this in Christ message. Just go to our website, christ-life.org. Click on the fellowship tab at the top of the page. It'll walk you through it and tell you all you need to know. And we'll supply free all of the information you need. Robbie Litzman, thank you for allowing us to go into the archives each week. Our Twitter account is done by Valerie Hill. Tammy Laycock does our weekly podcast reports, and this program is produced weekly by Teresa Ferraro from the Christ Life Fellowship. Until next time, I'm Brad Wilson, loving the Christ life.